You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to another episode of Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. I am, as always, your host, Ben Wolf. And we're going to learn from our guest today how to prepare yourself for the next economic downturn. Um, I invite you all to, uh, as always, uh, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, whether that's Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever it happens to be, and uh, definitely leave a review. And uh, that will be very helpful uh, to, um, to, to myself, to this show, and to others uh, to make it more accessible to them, come up higher in the search results if you value the things that we are sharing here and the knowledge and, and tools that we are sharing here. So uh, with that, I want to get into the introduction for our guest today. And uh, he is uh, president of Wentworth Financial Partners, where his company uh, and himself provides a fractional CFO services. That's like a part-time or outsourced CFO services to businesses. Um, he, has, uh, he had uh, spent 20 years in a variety of senior finance and CFO roles in the banking world at Capital One and J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, he is currently the host of the Mr. Biz radio program uh, from every day from 4.30 to 6 Eastern Time uh, on the DCN Internet Radio Network. Uh, he's the author of Pathway to Profits and How to Be a Cashflow Pro. Uh, you can learn more about uh, what he does at Mr. Biz Solutions. That's biz with a Z, solutions.com, mrbizsolutions.com. And with that, I give you Ken Wentworth. Welcome, Ken. Great to have you on. Hey, Ben, thanks for uh, having me on the show. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. No problem. Thanks for being on. And um, so uh, like I always do, I, I want to start with just like, you know, maybe a little bit that's not necessarily in the resume, just like, you know, a little bit quick two minute history on how you got how you got where you are now and and uh, how you ended up you know doing the things that you're doing now. I um, as you mentioned a little bit, I went through. I worked um, actually at J.P. Morgan Chase for about 20, 20 or so years, and as you mentioned, a bunch of different roles, um, and had no idea at the time and during that time that what I do now was even a thing. I was so engulfed in the corporate world that I had wasn't really in touch with the the, the smaller business community. And knowing that you know the, the there was a need out there for um, you know on demand or fractional CFO type people, but um, you know as I decided I was going to leave the corporate world and started to have that um, as they say, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Conversation with my mentor. <laughs> you know, he mentioned he said, you know, this is what you need to do. This, you know, you need to be a CFO for you know a, a handful of businesses. And I said, well, how the heck do you do that? Because you know, being CFO for just one business is you know. A full-time plus job and he right. explained to me you know you do it on a part-time basis etc and you know as I've gotten out into the world so to speak over the last several years um, with my businesses I mean it makes a lot of sense I mean you have a lot of folks out there and I'm sure a lot of your listeners fall into this these, this category is they're really really good at what what product they produce or service they provide but maybe don't have business experience so you might be a great plumber for example but you don't have right. a lot of business experience or, you know, you might be a great attorney, but you've never run a business before. So those are the types of people that, you know, typically fall under, you know, uh, you know, target clients for me, frankly, that I can help the most because, um, you know, they're, they're 
just kicking butt at what they're doing, but they just need a little bit of help on uh, on sort of the business side and optimizing their business um, from that standpoint. Right. Well, that you know that that even before we get into uh, you know some of the you know some of the information that that you know that I know that I hope people can we could share today. Um, on that on that fractional CFO piece, you know, you talked about the difficulty getting your head around the idea of well, CFO is a full time thing. It really it takes up all your time. How do you so how how do you do that? And in fact, you know, I, I have a fractional COO, you know, aspect of the services that my company, Wolf's Edge Consulting, provides, um, and that's even less common uh, in terms of people's uh, exposure than than a fractional CFO. But you know, one of the common questions there, just like it. I'm about to ask you now is, you know, well, well that's a, you know, COO is a full-time role. How can you do that on a fractional basis or, or an outsourced basis? And so I would, you know, if you don't mind just sharing, uh, how, how do you, you know, what's the difference between the accountabilities or a role of a fractional CFO versus a regular full-time CFO? Honestly, I don't look at, as far as responsibilities and, and things of that nature, I don't look at it any differently. Uh, I consider myself with each one, my, each one FO. I mean, it doesn't matter whether I'm part-time, full-time. It doesn't matter. To me, I am their CFO. I am responsible in the same exact ways that I would need to be as a full-time you know, employee, CFO, working 60 hours a week. Um, the interesting part about it is that, mm-hmm. you know, as far as how do you sort of spread that time around is you know, every one of my clients, I don't have a cookie cutter approach and I'm sure you don't either. Each one of my clients is different. Some of them um, need more handholding or need more of my time. And, and then others, you know, I have one client, for example, that I literally meet with uh, once a month for about 90 minutes. And it's uh, strictly a strategic planning session. Um, it, cell phones outside the room right. and, and focused for, you know, that 90 minutes to talk about um, where we are and where we're going uh, more so on where we're going. But and then others, you know, I have others where I'm, you know, on site at their business, you know, for several hours every single week. So it just varies um, depending upon uh, how I can best help them. And, and frankly, the owner's skill set, you know, again, how much they need me and how much I need to be involved. But regardless of where I'm at, I mean, even, even my client that I only, you know, spend about 90 minutes a, a, a month with, you know, again, I, I consider myself the CFO of that business. So I, I take that responsibility very seriously. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I encourage my owners and my clients to reach out to me. Don't make financial decisions without reaching out. To me. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here to help, you know, ensure that they don't make right. mistakes and, you know, make sure we think things all the way through. And because as you know, Ben, there are things that might make sense in the next six months, but maybe they don't make sense for where we want to go three years from now or five years from now. So, you know, a lot of times I think mm-hmm. what I found is that owners don't have as much of a strategic view in a lot of situations to be able to think through that. They say, oh, my gosh, this is a great decision. It's going to help us thinking again in the very short term and without maybe seeing the, the bigger picture over the next, you know, again, three to five years. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, that's helpful. And, you know, and I guess at the beginning of what I wanted to get into, you know, hopefully sharing today is I know in a lot of your teaching and, and writing and speaking, you, you speak about, uh, you know, the three pillars of financial success. So if, if you don't mind, if you don't mind sharing, so what do you see as those, as those three pillars? Client I have, when I start with them, I start with, with, you know, again, what I call my three, three pillars of financial success. And those are cash flow, budgeting, Yes, budgeting um, and pricing. 
And I feel like, uh, and it's been in my experience, that if you get those three things, those are the foundation, right? That's your house and that's the foundation. If you get those three things nailed down and humming along, you can really grow explosively. But you have to have those three things in tune or tuned up and, and really functioning well. Otherwise, you can get in a situation, for example, with pricing. And I know it sounds obvious when you say it, but sometimes, again, with owners, you know, wearing 12 different hats and and a lot of times being very tactical and, and having to be tactical because they're wearing those 12 hats is thinking through, for example, your pricing. If your pricing is off and let's say there's a particular product that you're, you're selling or service that you're selling and it's priced inaccurately. And let's say, for example, and I know it sounds crazy, but it happens all the time that it's actually priced to where you're losing money for each unit or each product or service that you sell. Well, then you, without knowing that, you go out and you're right. gangbusters selling that particular product or service. You're just digging a deeper and deeper hole with every single <laughs> sale you make. So it's very, um, on the surface, counterintuitive to think, you know, what the heck's going on here? I'm selling like crazy. People are buying my service product, whatever it might be, like crazy, but I'm losing money. What the heck's going on here? And so getting those three correct, I mean, obviously cash flow. If you right. don't have cash flow, if you don't have cash, you don't have a business, right? Obviously, that's very important. And that's what led me to write that first book is, you know, businesses of all shapes and sizes at some point or another run into cash flow problems, uh, challenges, I should say, not necessarily a problem, but I mean, Amazon had a cash flow situation, I'll call it, uh, a handful of years ago. I mean, Amazon, the big behemoth, a giant company, and it's not because they're not doing well, obviously, they're reinvesting back into the business and some of the their, their their sales had not reached the levels that they had projected uh, to account for all the investment back into the business they were making. So it's not, there's nothing you know shameful about having right. cash flow challenges, but there are a lot of ways um, to look at cash flow and be able to you know right the ship on those pretty quickly. Most of them are things you can implement within a day or two, and sometimes even you know within an hour, and really make a big difference in budgeting. I require every business that I work with to have a budget, and I I, I tell them right up front as I'm, I'm even talking with them as a as a potential prospective client is we have to have a budget. I mean that is, it, it is so important to be able to measure where you are at every month or even more often, but at least on a monthly basis to see okay where are we are we ahead or behind where we want to be, and then be able to make changes based on that. Are we doing well? Okay, so now maybe, for example, maybe we're our sales and our revenue is much higher than we expected. Well, do, what are we going to do with that? Do we want to reinvest mm-hmm. back into the business? For example, um, you have a field service business and business is going really well and, and the revenue is much higher than expected. Do you want to buy another truck to put another truck on the road? For example, if you're a plumbing company or a, a chimney sweep or HVAC right. or something like that. So thinking through those things. Rather than you know getting into August September looking back at the year and saying oh my gosh we are you know twenty percent below where we think we want to be for revenue where our goal was for the year how do we make that up in the last three months well geez we, we can't we're you know that that's that ship has sailed we can't get there <laughs> so that's very important and as I mentioned that you know the third third one being pricing is that is just absolutely critically important and I'll tell you as I mentioned I know it sounds crazy to say that someone would actually have a service or a product that's actually unprofitable but it is very common, and a lot of owners don't want to sort of uh, you know peel back the onion on those things because I mean honestly it sounds kind of embarrassing, but it shouldn't be. I mean there are things that get missed often on the pricing side, and, and I'll tell you as an example, I have never once 
of all the businesses I've ever worked with, I've never once worked with a business where we were not able to improve the pricing and tweak it and make it more accurate. And I don't mean by that, oh, well, let's you know charge 10% uh-huh. more. I don't mean that. I just mean there. Are, it seems there are always there's always something that's missing. Um, or, uh, for example, I had a client that uh, bid on a large commercial uh, job, and it was going to be equivalent to about 20% of their annual revenue. Well, he really wanted this job, and this was before I started working uh-huh. with him. And so he bid very aggressively. Well, he bid too aggressively in, in hindsight. And so that job ended up, you know, it was a, a couple hundred right. thousand dollar job, but it cost him, you know, he ended up losing about $50,000 on the job. And to get to the end of the year and explain to him, wow. if you would have turned down that job, you would have actually made more money. It, you know, on the surface, again, it seems counterintuitive. Like, what do you, what do you mean? I, if I turned around, down $200,000 right. of revenue, I'd make more money? That doesn't make sense to me. So, but that's, that's the whole a- aspect of pricing and making sure you're not, you know, too aggressive about it. Right. Right. Well, there's a, there's a lot to take away from. I mean, you said a lot of stuff there. I mean, just on the on the on the on the pricing example you gave, um, we had we had a guest on a few weeks ago, Dr. Gleb Zapersky. Actually, I think you've had him on too mm-hmm. on your show. And uh, one of the one of the examples there, he 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 gave that example talking about uh, bidding also, um, and you know, and some of the cognitive biases that you know that cause us to be too optimistic and and. Um, you know, in the way that in the way that we do that pricing that you know leads a person into that kind of situation that you mentioned, and um, you know, I guess that's one thing that comes to mind. I do know a lot of people, especially when you get to like smaller than really the target market of of this show, but you get into smaller businesses, solopreneurs. I, I think that even it is very common for people undervaluing themselves, undervaluing the service or product that they're that they're delivering and undercharging. I uh, definitely see that uh, see that a lot. And talking about price, pricing also just makes me think about, you know, you talk about Amazon. Well, no, you know, the, the counter side of Amazon is uh, UPS, you know, and the, you know, the recent decision to stop working with UPS. And I think I think I heard from somebody, and I, I you know, don't quote me on this. I think that that Amazon, previous to them kind of going and creating more of their own logistics and their and their own last mile delivery, was. Uh, was like seven percent. It was either two or seven. I think it was either two, seven percent, something like that of uh, of of UPS's revenue was through Amazon, but that they were losing money um, on the deal because I guess Amazon's such a aggressive negotiator, presumably that they were that they were uh, you know. So I don't know what UPS's theory was if it was a loss leader or, or something else, but um, but it's you know it's interesting to uh, yeah to see where those mistakes come into it and I. You know, just to get into the weeds and, and not focus on the high, higher level stuff for a second. I mean, you also talked about cash flow being a, a, one of one of one of the three pillars that you try to get people strong on. And um, one thing I've noticed in, you know, smaller entrepreneurial businesses, you know, a few dozen people or whatever, is uh, is that their method for their method for AP for you know for paying their accounts payable is basically as soon as they get the invoice, they pay it. And, you know, their theory is, I guess, you know, that, well, look, you're going to have to, I mean, we're going to pay it anyway. I mean, you know, whether we pay it, you know, if it's net 15, net 30, net 45, and we pay it on day 25, as opposed to day five, you know, what's the difference? We're going to pay the bill anyway. Um, is that accurate? Uh, what, do you, what do you say about that from a cash flow perspective? In a lot of different businesses that you've got, you know, whoever handles your AP, as you mentioned, and it's funny, I, I kind of make a joke of it and say, you know, you're just too efficient. 
you know, don't be that efficient. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, you want to, again, they open the mail and instantly go out and pay that bill. And, you know, what I, you know, recommend to folks is that if, you know, if you've got a net 30, uh, if you're an invoice that's net 30 and there's no discount offered, if there's a discount offered and your cash flow can handle it, then absolutely take advantage of the discount for sure. But otherwise, pay it on day 29. Uh, there's no need to rush out and pay that thing, uh, you know, any sooner. Why, why is that better? Why is that better? I mean, if you could, I think you could educate. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it, again, the way I break it down is, I think, first of all, with cash flow, I think a lot of people think of cash flow and net income and think they're they're the same, and they're not. They're not even close. You could have you could have a bad cash flow situation, but your P&L might sh- show that you're making money. And you could have the, the opposite as well. You could be losing money, but be okay on the cash flow side. So the way to really think about cash flow in, the, in its simplest form is think about the money going in and out of your checking account. I mean, that's you break it down to the absolute bare minimum ta- brass tactics. It's money in and out of your checking account. And so the longer you can delay that. So there's one example I use, and, and this doesn't work for um, some larger businesses, but if you've got a, a small to medium-sized business, let's say, one of the other things I encourage folks to do is to get a business credit card and use that. Now, I'm not suggesting that you run a balance. You pay the balance each month. Um, but first of all, you can take advantage of the rewards you can earn from that. But second of all, think of this scenario. So you are a small manufacturing company, let's say, and you create widgets. And you go out and buy the raw material for your widgets on day one. And it takes you, you know, five days to go through the, the manufacturing process. And then it takes you 10 days to sell the widget. So 15 days in roughly, you have bought the raw materials and you have sold the widget. And then, you know, presumably a day or so, the money gets into your checking account. So you have positive cash flow with that. Now, of course, you have wages in there um, for your workers, employees, etc. However, that raw material that you, you know, bought on day one you probably got an invoice for that. And it's you know more than likely it's a net 30. So wait until day 29 to pay it. Now at this point, on day 29, you've already received the revenue for that widget, right? You've sold it on day 15, you got it in right. the money into your checking out day, whatever, 16, 17. Now, even more explosively or more positively for your cash flow, if you pay for that invoice on day 29 with a business credit card, Depending on you know where you're at in your credit card billing cycle, you've got another thirty or so days before you have to pay. Actually, lay the cash out of your checking account to pay for that. So look at it this way: right. you've had that raw material for at that point about sixty, maybe even up to seventy-five days before you've had to actually lay the cash out mm-hmm. out of your checking account. Again, think about it that way to pay for the credit card uh, where you you know where you charge it on there. So. That is a way to, I, I call it the, the payable receivable cycle. So you want to extend that as much as you can. And that is an easy way to do that and very, very powerful. I mean, I've got, um, I had a client that has a, a construction business. So, of course, he purchases a lot of materials. And, um, he, we, you know, we got him a, um, a card that pays 2%, unlimited 2% cash back. Well, the first year, side note to this one, mm-hmm. kind of funny, but not funny for me is he sends me a picture, one of those ubiquitous pictures from the beach with a beer in his hand, and you can see his feet in the sand in the ocean, and he says, thanks, Mr. Biz, because he used the, he used the reward right. points for he and his wife to go to Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
but but it nice. improved his cash flow situation <laughs> right. significantly. So and again, the real basic way to think about cash flow is when money comes in and out of your checking account. Right. Well, that, I mean, that's okay. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of really good nuggets there, and I, I really appreciate that. I mean, one other one other cash flow thing I was thinking of asking you about. You talk about one of the topics in your first book is getting to the top of the pay pile. Now, I assume that now you're talking about your your AR, right? So, what is you know what is something people can think about doing to get to the top of the pay pile? I assume that's what you mean is, is you know in your AR to get paid earlier and not be at that day twenty nine of the other guy. <laughs> Specifically, with in regards to getting to the top of that pay pile, and I have to emphasize that some people when I say that they think I'm saying pay pal as in P A L, but P I L E. <laughs> and so imagine right. this scenario, and again, right. <clears throat> think about it from the other perspective. Again, we talk about cash flow. You know, challenges happen all the time with all sorts of businesses. So imagine a business owner gets to the end of the month and he's paying his invoices, and he has make it up. He's got five thousand dollars of invoices to pay. And he only has three thousand dollars to pay with which to pay them, so he's going to go through his invoice pile right. and say, "Okay, who am I going to pay, and who's going to have to wait?" Well, you want to make sure that you're part of the at the top right. of that pay pile, so you're part of the the right. you know the ones that get paid. Right. And so you know, a couple of real simple things you can have is you know first of all have a a, a very transparent policy, and one of the things, and again, this is some super easy to implement, but on your invoice, very clearly, very transparently show, like say for example, you offer a discount to pay within whatever, five days. So let's say the invoice is for $1,000. Show very specifically, if payment received by you know January 5th, you owe $950. If it's uh, received by January 30th, so say that's net 30, it's $1,000. If received February 1st or after, it is, you know, uh, $1,050 or whatever. Make it very clear for them. So they're going to see, again, as they're, if they get in that unfortunate right. situation and they're trying to figure out which ones are going to get paid and which ones are going to have to wait, if you have that and it's spelled out very transparently mm -hmm. on your invoice, they know, hey, I'm going to incur a penalty here. Whereas if another one that doesn't have, another invoice that they're considering doesn't have that, they're going to say, oh, well, I'll just push this one back because I'm not going to get a penalty, right? I mean, they're going to make a, a financial decision in that right. in that regard and and so you want to make sure that's one way to get to the top of that pay pile. the other thing i tell folks is and i know it's um okay. you know sometimes it, if you have a long-term customer and they were in a you know bad situation it, it becomes difficult but you know as i tell folks in a very sort of direct blunt way you're running a business not a charity so you have to enforce your policies as well so you know if you have a penalty for you know for late payment you can't just let people slide all the time because if you do, you teach them to not put you at the top of the pay pile. So, you know, Ken says he's going to charge me, right. uh, you know, $50 late fee or whatever it might be, but he never has in the past. So I'm not going to worry about it. So again, you get to the bottom of the pay pile and you, you're the one that ends up waiting. So, you know, just adhering to your terms and having um, spelled out terms, I think is very important and, and helps you get to the top of that pay pile. Okay, well, that's uh, yeah, that's a couple of great pieces of advice on that. So I appreciate it. Um, I, I definitely want to get before we run out of time to you know to to, to the other thing and the kind of the intro that, that that I put in and what we're going to talk about also, which is which is preparing for the next economic downturn. I, I know that when we when we talked previously, you know that this is you know I guess one of your favorite or you know crusading issues. You know is 
is is getting the businesses you work with prepared for the next economic downturn. I mean, from what I hear, you know, these things are around ten-year cycles, uh, and we're basically overdue if that's if that's correct. You know, based on past history, that it's you know two thousand seven, two thousand eight last time, and now we're already in two thousand nineteen. You know, eleven, twelve years later, so. Um, you know, maybe, maybe the recovery was a little slow last time. So we're, you know, bought us another year or two before the next one. But, um, but what, uh, what can people, what should people do, uh, you know, to, you know, to get ready because it, it is coming, uh, it's going to come at some point. So, you know, how do, how do people, you know, be, be successful? I think it's really, really important. And I'm, I've been readying all of my clients for this because again, and I, I want to be clear, I, I'm not saying this to be, you know, doomsday or, or, or negative Nelly or anything like that, Debbie Downer. But, you know, it's just a fact of the matter, business cycle, as you mentioned, you know, roughly every 10 years or so. I mean, we hit a downturn. Now, I don't expect and I don't think any of the economists at this point expect that the next downturn will be anywhere near what we experienced in, you know, that 2008 or so uh, time frame. But nonetheless, I think it's very important to be ready for that. And so a couple of things that I do. So, uh, you know, we obviously run a cash flow model out. And so, for, for example, I'm running it out and I'm looking at, for example, right now, worst case scenario, I think things could start to slow down around the middle of 2020. Now, I don't think it'll be significant. And, and that is worst case, earliest I would anticipate based on everything I read and see uh, would happen. So I'm preparing my businesses that my clients, that that's when it'll start. And then we run it out about two years. We run a cash flow model out about two years. And we essentially stress test the numbers to say, okay, what if you know, our revenue drops off by X percent. Um, how can we be prepared for that? And so what I recommend is to have about, look at your admin expenses. So your non cost of goods sold side of things, whatever your run rate is for that, your burn rate for that, take about 80% of that. And I recommend at a bare minimum having six months worth of that in liquid assets. A lot of times that's just, you know, cash or whatever. But um, I, I think that's very important to have that. Mm -hmm. And the reason I use 80% is that as things start to slow down, you can you can obviously make reductions on that on those expenses to some extent, right? Um, so you can reduce those expenses down a bit to account for you know the slowdown in your business. But I think that's very important. And, and that's the bare minimum. I mean, what I would prefer and what I've been working with my clients that I've had for the last few years is we've been building, and, and you know, as as we get above a certain you know level of liquid assets, we move them into you know earning investments, right? So we're we're not just sitting in a, a checking account making you know 0.1 percent or something like that. But it's it's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. I look at a, an economic downturn as an opportunity. If you have a strong balance sheet, it affords you the ability to not only withstand any sort of downturn, but also take advantage of it in the in the regards of if your competitors are not, and they end up running into issues or maybe even going out of business, you might be able to get uh, acquire some assets that would be, um, you know, uh, critical for your business for continued growth. For example, as I mentioned earlier, if you have a field service business, mm -hmm. you have a competitor that's going out of business or downsizing a bit, you may be able to pick up a couple of new trucks to put on the road at a at a discounted price. Um, yeah, much absolutely, less. much much yeah. less expensive. So. You know, having the opportunity, maybe you've got a, a competitor that's you know in trouble and is looking to sell. Maybe the the owner's you know uh, getting to the age of where he wants to retire, and he's like, okay, I'm we hit hit a downturn. It's time to sort of mail it in here. And you might be able to you know pick up a, a, you know additional assets or additional add on, add on business for you know I wouldn't say pennies on the dollar, but maybe fifty cents right. on the dollar compared to where uh, other times. But 
you have to have the balance sheet to be able to do that, obviously, because um, obviously banks, you know, during a downturn, start to tighten up their credit and things like that. So you need to have be self-sustaining and be able to take advantage of those situations. I think it's really important and a great opportunity. Right. Well, that's really okay. I mean, that's so, so many good, so many good nuggets here on on a few topics. I, I think so. It's it, you know, that's really cool. Um, and uh, you know, on that, you know, the uh, you know Tony Robbins. I know I, I went to the Business Mastery Program back in January, and you know he he's you know he's been saying for years, kind of keying in on that line from uh, Game of Thrones. You know, winter is coming. Um, and you know, one of his one of his one of his personal mantras is uh you know is winter is my season you know and i i think that uh i think that you know saying that to yourself and you know using some of these uh you know techniques uh, you know and you know and, and strategies that you mentioned uh you know obviously in coordination with your uh you know whoever your financial advisor cfo accountants whatever you know how, how to do that best is uh you know is great and that's how to how to be able to say uh you know how to be able to say that you know, winter is your season so Yes. Really, really, yeah. So it's really, really cool stuff. I look. I, I really appreciate the uh, you know the knowledge, the tools, information that you shared about uh, about cash flow, about I mean you know preparing for economic downturn, um, getting your balance sheet in a in a better situation. Uh, obviously, regular budgeting. Um, you know, smart smart pricing, um, and uh, you know there was there was more I wanted to kind of dive into some of these things, but you know we're we're kind of out of time. But I. Really appreciate you coming on and everything you shared today. Yeah, my, my pleasure. And again, people can uh, learn about uh, Ken and what he does at MrBizSolutions.com. That's uh, M-R and Mr. Biz with a Z, Solutions.com. And uh, thanks for coming on. And I look forward to seeing everybody else on the other side. Thanks a lot. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.